Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. Here we discuss ideas, experiences, and share stories about L&D-specific topics. I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, where we strategically fix training that's broken and develop workplace learning that delivers desired business results. Today, the cool kids are talking about the future of instructional design or the future of L&D in general. Now, we've all seen it. L&D is undergoing a seismic shift. And with the advent of all of the new technologies in front of us and the changing workplace dynamics, we are facing challenges that are far more complex than ever before. And then there was the wake-up call of 2021. In December of 2021, ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, dissolved its entire L&D department. What was the reason? Well, they felt that many of their learning initiatives were not adding value and were merely feel-good activities with limited impact. Now, there was probably more to the story than meets the eye, but we can't deny that layoffs in L&D in general are on the rise. So, what to do? What to do? Well, we can prepare for the future because the future is now. And today we are going to be discussing the skills that instructional designers and L&D in general will have to have in order to prepare to be successful for this future. So the big question on the table today is, what is the future of instructional design and what skills will we need in order to remain relevant? Therefore, without further ado, let's get to it. All right. Well, welcome everyone to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. I am very excited about today's topic. We have been in the midst of a lot of change in the L&D function, specifically around instructional designers, facilitators, virtual facilitating. It seems as though everything around our job as L&D professionals has seen some sort of change, I would say in the last two or three years, and in some areas more significant change than others. And this is why I wanted to bring everybody together today. Now, today we're talking about what does the future hold for learning and development. Our next coffee chat here is, some of you may find this familiar. We did this exercise a couple of years ago what smart trainers need to know. And I want to do it again. So we're going to do it again because it's going to kind of piggyback off of what we're talking about here today. Today, focusing on what does the future hold? And then our next chat, let's actually get down and dirty and collaboratively break down the skills that we think that we're going to need in order to be successful in our roles today. So I hope that you join us for that. And then when you go to the events page, you'll notice that I have all of the chats up for the rest of this year. And so I'm very excited by that. We've got our next one, which is what's 
smart trainers need to know. We're also going to be talking about learning reinforcement. But in December, we're doing our annual Gifts for the Trainer in Your Life, which is a very popular one. We all love getting together and developing those gift lists. And then we're also having our annual uh, Coffee Chat, Learning Rebels Coffee Chat holiday party. So that is all up and ready for you guys to go ahead, yes, and sign up. So now let's start. You know what? Actually, what I want to do in the chat right now for me, I would like for you to put your job title. What's your job title? Okay, learning consultant, instructional designers, training and development managers, senior instructional designer, talent specialist, talent development manager, learning experience <laughs> designer, instructional designer and project manager, master learning facilitator. Okay. All right. And training coordinator, learning consultant, instructional design lead, instructional design leader. Well, there's two that are the same. I'm finding it really interesting that I'm not seeing a whole lot of redundancy as far as titles is concerned. We all have different titles, although it could be said that we're all doing similar roles. And it uh, never ceases to amaze me as far as where our titles sit as L&D professionals is that no two titles are the same, it feels like, right? Yes, exactly, Erica. If you can imagine it, it can be a job title. And I think a lot of that has to do with our organizations aren't really sure what they want us to be doing. And so subsequently, they just throw a job title on the wall and hope that it sticks. And I think the conversation today, oh, in the past learning experience architect, right? Yes. A long time ago, I did a survey like this, and I came up with 90 different job titles within the L&D profession. And that's just crazy. What does that matter for the future of L&D? Why, why does it matter? You guys tell me. Why do you think this, this matters? The discrepancies between job titles, job descriptions, et cetera. Why does that matter? Why is it important that maybe we get some consistency in this? How are other people supposed to know what it is we do if they if we can't have any kind of right? What's the difference between an instructional architect and an instructional designer? Right. Yes. They're yeah. building instruction, right? So they're building instruction. If your organization doesn't know what you do and you can't explain what you do on some level, then it's going to be hard to maintain this position in the future. This is what makes it really easy for an organization to put L&D on the chopping block when it comes time to eliminate positions. Because people are, well, we're not really sure what they do. So if we're not sure what they do, how could they be adding value? And I think that that's a logical conclusion for business leaders to have. And so now when you think about the future of instructional design, and I'm not here to say that instructional design or L&D in that place is dead. You guys know my feeling about that. It's not... Instructional design is not dead. Instructional design is changing and how we operate within the parameters of that position are changing. So what do you think when you think about your position, how has it changed in the last few years? It has been quite difficult to convince higher level leaders of the value of the profession. Like, I don't know. I, I see that a lot on LinkedIn and in, in job, you know, everyone complaining that their their role isn't valued or, or they can't promote that performance-based impact, you know, versus the 
uh, let's just get out a lot of informational facilitation type of stuff. And so I see a lot of that, but I, I just don't know who can convince upper level leaders of the value. I mean, I know it's part of our job. I just haven't had a lot of success uh, in doing so. Well, anyone want to piggyback on that? I did a business case. They have so many projects, right? And they have so many activities coming up. And I showed the global vice president all the projects were that were not going to get done because I was the only instructional designer at the company. I showed them this might get done if you don't hire someone. If you hire some, this will get done. And it was went from what I could possibly do, which is this big, to if you hire somebody, we could get this much more done. And quite frankly, I mean, Shannon knows this, is that I have been working so many hours that I'm reaching burnout and I'm like wanting to quit, right? And so their alternative was either get Kelly help or Kelly's going to make that decision. <laughs> a decision so. that we don't want her to make. Like, and I think we've all been to that point where you're in a job and it's like, they will abuse you to the point where you either like say no, or mm -hmm. you, you change jobs, right? right? Well, I think you bring up something really important here as far as a future skill set or the way that the job is changing is the way that we talk about our job is changing and has changed and still needs to change because as Mia has identified, as Doug kind of identified, as Kelly identified, is that organizations don't understand what we do. So how can we better communicate that? And a lot of times we tackle this conversation from an L&D perspective. We use instructional design words. We use L&D words. We use training words. We really don't speak in a way that resonates with the business. And we had a coffee chat about this several months ago where we talked about how can we build relationships with management, you know, so, um, and that might be on the podcast. So if you go back through the podcast, you may find that conversation. And I think it's still a, another worthy conversation to have because when we think about how, how L&D is changing, it's how are we presenting ourselves? from a business perspective, from a marketing perspective. This is why I think marketing is another area that L&D needs to make a shift to. So when we talk about how does the job look different, I think having a more marketing eye is going to be helpful and it helps us in a lot of different ways. And so to Kelly's point there, it might help you get work, you know, help might help you get help and it might help you create that business case that solidifies what you do. So organizations further understand this. I think there's also an attitude that anybody can do that. So you don't need a professional. So yeah, right. And I think that business case can kind of shine a light on that. This is something that not everyone can do. I did finally get somebody to reach out to me about best ways to train people on a, a critical new project this is huge at my company that a senior director reached out to me and said, ah, we should probably talk about it. Now, it sounds like they're creating the content, which is worrisome because it's been bad, right? Because they, again, to the comment, anybody can do that, right? Mm -hmm. But some of the trainings that I've created, I've been able to, with Rise, get training done in five days and it solved the problem. 
And whenever you can have those quick wins, you build credibility and you build value. You can say, well, I I probably won't be able to do this, but I can do this and we could probably do it in a week. Would a week work for you? You know, get commitment that they're going to work with you and get you the information. But those quick wins are powerful. Such a great point there, Kelly, really. And, you know, when I think about, so my brain is thinking in buckets here and the bucket that feels like for me is about project management, being agile, right? And so how are we helping the business be more agile? And if we think about this in context with the rest of the business, the rest of the business has to operate on the fly. So I'm sure that marketing enters the year with a marketing plan, but you think that that marketing plan looks the same in December as it did in January? Probably not. That is an important element to think about. My company has a think tank program. I love that idea. So Denise, can you talk about that? The Think Tank program is an opportunity for the frontline workers to submit suggestions to simplify processes. So, of course, they're the ones that are working in the systems and they come up with, well, it would be easier if we didn't have to do this or we could do this. But my team brought up today that that's what they do all the time as trainers when when we're being asked to document a new process or put together a training event or a video or something to explain something new that's being rolled out. We're always asking those provocative questions that force people, the SMEs, to give us more descriptive answers. So aren't we think tanks in and of ourselves? Yes. I love that. And you know what? And again, my head is just thinking about these different sorts of business buckets that these skills go into. And what you're talking about there is about future readiness. So how can we be future fit for our organizations? And taking steps like that help you progress. It also helps you add value. Now, there was an article, and I'm going to put it in the chat here, uh, Josh Bernson. uh, He wrote this a couple of years back, or a few years back, actually. Let's see, uh, 2020. A new model for corporate training in adaptive learning organizations. And what he talks about is, Organizations that are adaptive and have a culture of learning, but also have adaptive training L&D departments look like X. And I thought that this was really beneficial to help us really get our mind's eye on where we need to be going. And yes, that was three years ago. And a lot has changed in three years because I would also add, you know, there's this whole other technical area that we need to get our eyes on. And when we think about business and we think about technology, oftentimes our view of technology is things like Articulate or Rise or even now ChatGPT or any other generative AI type of tool. But when I'm thinking tech, I'm thinking generally. Do we know how to test technology? Do we know how to vet technology? So really just having, so maybe what it is rather than business acumen, but it's tech acumen. So is that a future something that we need to be thinking about when we're having these conversations with leadership? Because leadership may very well come to you wanting to know what is this all about? 
Or conversely, if they aren't coming to you, you can go to them and say, this is what this is all about and this is how it can help our business, right? And so when you have think tanks like what Denise was talking about there, those think tanks could also be your steering committee, right? They could be a little uh, pack committee for you to help you see where the business is going in the future. And then you can provide them with the tools or the pathway to make sure that, you know, they get to where they need to go. I'm also going to post this, which came from Red Thread. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with Red Thread Research. It's kind of expensive to be a member there, but they do give out some free stuff. And the free stuff is really valuable. So here's something that they put out that you guys can have access to which is future-proofing ID. So what they've done is they've broken out all of these different skills that we need to have and which ones we're really good at and which ones really the ones that we need to keep our eyes on. And so this would be a great pre-work, if you will, for the next coffee chat where we talk about building on these skills. So let's say we put together a leadership development program. And it's freaking awesome. It goes all the way across the board. People love it. There's applicability in it. You see people taking actionable steps based off of it and you see behaviors change. Okay, so it ticks all the boxes. Are we talking about it? Are we talking about it? Are we alerting the organization that this really wonderful, great thing happened over here. A lot of times we put out these things and they're successful and then we sit back and then we go on to the next thing and we forget to shed a light on the things that we did well so that the organization can go, oh yeah, you know what, that that actually was really cool. Because we all know that it's always the bad things that get the voice, right? So you read the reviews, you know, you're looking at all those terrible one-star reviews and it's like, oh, I'm, you know, you don't look at the ones that said, oh, this was super fabulous. And it's the same thing with us, the same thing with anything. So what are the steps, what steps are we taking to bring forward the good things that we do and the way in which we do them? I do want to talk about whether it made the change. And so I'm now consistently asking when people want training, how do we know it worked? And how will you know it worked? If they said, well, I don't, I'm not sure. And I said, well, you know, when you're running reports, would you be able to see it in your reports? Would you, would you be able to see that they did it right or they're using the system? And so are trying to figure out about talking about how do we know it works and at least getting them to think about that. I said, it wouldn't it be terrible if we did this training and they kept all doing the same thing. I mean, that takes a lot of money and effort and time. And gosh, I'd hate to be in that position as a manager that I'm expecting a change and no change happens. Right. So how do we how do we measure whether it worked or not? So here's a whole other different bucket. When we think about future readiness for L&D, that's all about data analytics. And it might not necessarily, I'm not talking about deep data. It's just the simple stuff. It could be anecdotal, like what Kelly is is doing here, which is really important. Don't don't sleep on anecdotal. But it could also be, um, to your point, Kelly, back when I was working in corporate, 
and looking, helping with sales training. My questions to the sales team were, what are your uh, revenue goals? What are your sales goals? Is it to increase sales 10% per person per quarter or year on year? What does that look like? And so this way, when training came out, I could go back to them and say, did we see a rise? Are they meeting their revenue goals? Are they meeting their sales goals? And while we may be able to say it's not 100% training uh, that did that, we could say we contributed, right? We could say we contributed. And that's the important bit. How are we having those conversations? And how are we using data to our advantage? And that is a great way of showing leadership skills, being able to talk about data. We don't necessarily have to have a seat at the table. And I'm here to tell you, it may be hashtag unpopular view. You may not want a seat at that table, right? You just may want to influence the world that you're in, and that's okay. But how how do you do that? How do you influence the world that you are in? And so what, what other examples do you guys have for me where we can show business relationship skills or leadership skills or consulting skills without having that seat at the table? I tend to create performance support. You know, the last onboarding program I developed, you know, giving those very clear cut instructions. What I was able to show was that for the talent team who got all the questions when they couldn't figure out what to do, I was able to show that their workload, they got less questions. The HR coordinator got less questions from new hires and the HRBPs got less questions from uh, managers on how to do the performance review because they had somewhere performance support to go and it was laid out for them very clearly. And so, you know, kind of reducing people's workload, but to be able to kind of get, you know, somebody giving that testimonial can help. Give your courses the stars, let them rate it by one star, five stars, four stars, right? And then that becomes information that you can extrapolate and use. And anytime you're putting yourself in a position to be able to gain information and then use that information becomes really helpful. Having those leadership skills in non-leadership positions is critical. Here is what I also think is critical. Not just the leadership skills, but the skill to be helpful, right? Are we being helpful? And if we're being helpful to the organization, then they're going to see us in a different light, right? And it goes to, you know, what you said there, Douglas, always asking questions. Always ask questions. When you're in the elevator with someone, ask questions. When you're in the hallway, ask questions. When you're at lunch, ask questions. Don't wait for those formal meetings. Find those times where you can be intrinsically helpful. And genuine. Genuine, yes. Genuinely helpful. Absolutely. Because they can sense that, right? They got their bullshit meter up. You know, business leaders can sense that. I am reading Denise's comment here. Often my desire to have a seat at the table grows from the frustration of being handed a training order at the 11th hour when we had the ability to be part of the solution sooner. Oh my, and I think, let's see, there are 16 people with us right now. All 16 of us could say, yes, we have all been there. I can hear the frustration in your comment. (laughs) I can hear the frustration in your comment. 
I agree that having a seat at the table isn't always the most comfortable place to be, but I think that it allows us the, you know, unless we have this latitude that we really can't showcase what we can bring. We fall into that order taking role. And I guess that's, I'm frustrated because I'm finding myself there right now. Absolutely. And I hear a lot of times people bringing up, well, I don't do this because I don't have a seat at the table because nobody's listening to me. I wasn't able to get into the project sooner. Subsequently, this happened. I think that's easy for some, not every not every situation, but for some situations, that's an easy out for why we didn't do the thing we needed to do. Having conversations with, the, the, with your manager or with uh, other stakeholders or with uh, leaders is a hard thing to learn to do. And it's hard to try to insert yourself. And it's particularly hard for women sometimes because once we start inserting ourselves, we, we get called aggressive. But I, but I want to see past that. I want us to be in a place where we feel comfortable being able to have important conversations when important conversations need to occur. And that's why I say, even if you are in, I tell you, I was the queen of the hallway conversation. People be walking past my office and I would be out from behind my desk and I would be walking with them down the hallway. Tell me what's happening in your world. What's happening in your world? How's everything going? How's there? And I'm sure people took the long way to avoid my office after a certain period of time. You know, so I think that there are other ways to find ourselves in without necessarily being at the table, but it would certainly be beneficial if we were, but not all the times can we be there. Shannon, I don't want to like throw a wrench at what you just said, but you know, right now the reality for most of us, and that's probably why we're talking about what is the future of our roles. We don't have those hallways anymore. No, that's true. I'm looking around and like most of us are sitting at, in our houses. That's true. You know, I go into the office every day, but there's maybe four people here and they're not, they're all within my department itself. That is so true. You're, thank you for bringing that. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm working in an older paradigm here. Are there meetings you can invite yourself to? Maybe. I had that conversation with, with my leader recently. And she said, well, you, know, you need to be more consultative and bring more solutions. I said, well, that, I need to know what's going on. I don't necessarily need to be in every meeting, but it'd be nice to know what meetings are happening. Right. True. I think that's a whole, oh my gosh, we could have a, a good conversation about that during the next chat, which is how to, the skill of working in a hybrid environment, not just ourselves, but working with others and connecting with others, you know, in that hybrid environment. How do we get better at that? How do we get better at having hallway conversations when we're not in a hallway? And I love this, Mia. Learn how to slide into their DMs. There you go. Yeah. How do we use the tools more effectively? I love this. This is a great conversation. And I'm sad to see that we're at the top of the hour because I think this was really great. And hopefully my goal here was to take your thoughts and to help you put them into future readiness buckets, right? So when we think about not just the job of instructional design or learning and development generalists or specialists or architects or what have you, it's the, what are the buckets that help us see the future? You know, like leadership, like business partnership, like managing relationships or being more, having more tech acumen, right? Data analytics, 
those are the buckets that I see L&D fitting into or needing to have full as we move into the future. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because I think we're all in the same boat. We're just calling it different things. So now that we've actually put more business-like labels, project management, more business-like labels on some of the things we do, maybe we can be more prepared to work with the business in a more consultative fashion as we continue moving forward. And that was the goal today. Hopefully you feel that we've hit that goal. So that being said, I want to alert you to the next Learn Something New. The next Learning Something New in November is with uh, Hadia Nuruddin, and she is talking to us about storytelling, you know, how to turn stories into learning. And I'm really looking forward to that. I put that link into the chat for you. Here we go. And also, don't forget about the Learning Rebels community and the community where we take these conversations and we take them to a whole different level. And I would love to see some of you in our community. And again, I hope to see you at our next coffee chat where we are going to be working through the skills. Now that we talked about the future, what skills are we going to need to have in order to make this all happen? So on that note, I hope you guys have a lovely weekend. Anybody doing anything fun? Me, I'm recuperating from the wedding last weekend. Anybody else doing anything? I'm going to DevNet Learn next week. Oh, you're going to DevNet Learn? Oh, I'm going to DevNet Learn. Finally. Oh, good for you. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. This was a very important conversation. Future readiness should be on the minds of every L&D professional. And in this hour, we came up with many skills that L&D will need to embrace. And as a matter of fact, I wrote a blog on this topic today, and you can find it on my website now. But in short change waits for no one. Are you prepared? Do you have the mindset to be agile, the curation skills to find resources your organization desperately needs? Are you tech aware? Are you speaking the language of business and not just speaking it, but being fluent? We all have a role and regardless of where you sit, if you sit at the table, great. If you don't, there are still opportunities to lead from within by displaying adaptive leadership. You have a voice and it's a matter of finding the right place and the right time in order to express it. Well, you want to join us live and you know you do go on over to learningrebels.com, check out the events page and sign on up. Don't forget to check out the Learning Rebels community where you can have an opportunity to build your knowledge and skills and connect with other cool L&D professionals. So in the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.